Morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Woo! Oh, I love it. Are you alive? I hear it. I hear it. Are you awake? Are you alive? All right. I'm just checking to wake you guys up. Anybody have more coffee than me? Three? I've had three. Three coffees. I haven't even been in the back yet. That'll be after service. Thank you, Angel. Are you busy? Life's got you busy? Work? Family? Pressure, stress, bills, stress, spouse. Are you busy living or are you busy dying? Oh, I like that. You know, this is, a, uh, this is a sanctuary place. We call it, in Western, in Western, uh, in our Western culture, we call this building a church, but we are the church. But people come by and they look at our church and they think that we only want to talk about one thing here, which we do. But the question is, have you thought about how you want to die? Have you? In his sleep, how this is the most classic one. When I die, I want to go like my grandfather did, peacefully in my sleep, not screaming and yelling like the other people in the car. Okay? Right? Okay. I thought everybody heard that joke by now. That, that's one of the best. It's old, yeah. It's a dad joke. It's a great dad joke. But death isn't a funny subject, right? It's really not. You know? We're all, we're, all, we're all here together, and if there's one great fear that everybody has, it's what happens after this, right? And we have these songs that we were singing this morning. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And we have a hope for something that helps us to have a safety cushion when we have to think about the fear of death. We all know there's two things guaranteed in this life. Now, those of you who are most likely after 40 and been doing this a long time, what are those two guarantees? Death and taxes. Those are your guarantees. But as human beings, death doesn't have to be morbid and grim. It doesn't. So what I'm really asking you is not how you want to die, but I'm really asking you how you intend to live till you die. You know that you only live once saying, it's not true. It is, but it's not. You live every day. You only die once. You get to live every day. How are you living your life? So what I'm really asking is how you intend to live till you die. You see how I did that? Kind of led you in there. Spook you around a little bit. He's talking about weird stuff. He's going in the weeds. 
My wife will text me here, move on. I haven't got the move on yet. I must be doing okay. But when I think about our, when I think about our culture and I think about the way we live and I think about my friends, some of my family, some of my neighbors, tragically, I think that some of them will have a tombstone that reads, here lies Lester Moore, died from short, four shots from a 44, no less, no more. That's a real tombstone in Tombstone, Arizona. Do you know that? Yeah. You saw it in the movie Tombstone, but it's actually a real tombstone. It really exists. Here lies Lester Moore, died four shots from a 44, no less, no more. You know, you've probably even heard, um, you know, that's just what I think about. Some people are going to live their life that way. Then I think that some people are going to live their life where it says, uh, born 1970, died 2010, buried 2045. Right? You, you picking that up? You've probably heard it said, the dash on your tombstone is the most important part. You do know that, right? Because when I look at a tombstone, I look at the numbers. But the most important part is the part where you lived. So what I'm asking you and what I challenge myself with is, what are you doing with your dash? How do you intend to use that dash till you put a number at the end? Or till God puts a number at the end? I think the world's so crazy, God's coming back real soon. Anybody else believe that? You know the crazier of a prophet you become, the more you start talking about, it's, it's the end times are now. You know, and then one day I woke up and was thinking that kind of stuff, and I was like, whoa, all right, God, let's get thing real back in here a minute. You know, is it really that close? But we feel it. We really do. And um, I think that we all need to look at what it looks like to live a life worth living. And there's a lot of, a lot of you guys have been doing this a long time. You've been following Christ most of your life. So, I, you know, I'm preaching to the choir. But we all need to hear it again, right? Because we're children of God, right? You know what I love most about children? I tell them one thing, I instruct them in it, and they do a great job, and four days later they're doing something completely different. That's what we do. Doesn't matter how old I get, how many more taxes I pay, we seem to find ourselves back in trouble again with our dad, right? So I wrote here another one. You know, I'm, you know my passion for weightlifting. So the godfather of powerlifting, Louis Simmons, he just died in March. Most of you don't know that or care. But uh, born in the 1940s, born in the 1940s, and in the 1970s, he broke his back lifting, and uh, he recovered from that, developed a machine, went and read all kinds of Russian, um, Russian literature, school books, textbooks, and put together a system of training that today is used across the NFL, MMA sports. Um, it's the methods that I train with. I coach BB in it. So he's the godfather of powerlifting. I mean, he revolutionized powerlifting. And um, he died in March, right? So it was like a tragic thing for our strength world. And he had a, a tattoo on his arm. I bring this up. I, I'm using him here because he had a tattoo on his arm. His tattoo said, born 10, 12, 47, died never. Now, what I can tell you is, 
If I looked at his tombstone and I looked at his dash, I could tell you what his legacy will bring to the strength world, and his legacy, what will be left behind until this world ends, may last. The legacy he left behind in strength sports may last. But I don't know if he knew Jesus Christ. I never heard him talk about it. And I've listened to hours and hours and hours of his content over, I couldn't tell you how many years. But I don't know if he knew Jesus. So when his tattoo says, died never, I don't know. I don't know. You know, will he, will he spend an eternity somewhere? We all will. But unless Louis knew Jesus Christ, we know he won't be spending it with us. And I hope he did. Another thing uh, I wrote here, there's a, there's a certain type of old people you should avoid. And I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about people in their 30s and 40s who have a foot in the grave with their attitude of life. Because they're not living. They're busy dying. They all share a few common traits. Narcissism, pessimism, and fatalism. Negative, 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 negative. Even I struggle with these things. But this was not the attitude of the life lived by Abraham. What if I told you guys this was the last week that we were in Abraham? Would you get excited? Don't you do it. I was going to say, don't you guys get all, woo, finally. But this really is our last uh, week in the series of Abraham. And all these things that I just talked about, the narcissism, the pessimism, the fatalism, the not living, the foot in the grave, all that, these, this is not the way that Abraham lived. And Abraham is what? The father of our what? Faith. The father of our faith. So today, we're not going to admire, we're not going to look at how he died. We're going to admire how he lived as we close the series for Abraham. So I'm in the concern of Abraham, part two. Last week was our part one. Remember, the concern for Abraham was making sure that even though, even though he had Isaac, he still knew that there was a promise for descendants too many to count. So last week, his concern was that his Isaac married the right person, right? So... We're going to finish out our series today, and we're going to look at Abraham. Genesis 25, Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashuram, Latushim and Leumim. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanak, Abida, and Aldah. All these were the children of Keturah. That name Midian obviously is the place where wherever Midian ended up putting his stake is where Moses went. You remember? Moses went to Midian. He spent 40 years there. We'll talk about that when we get there. It says, uh, okay, so all these were the children of Keturah, and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. He had all these kids, but he gave everything he had to Isaac. But 
Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward, away from his son Isaac, to the country of the east. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, 175 years. 175 years. So let's do a little math here together. Sarah died at 127. So he would have been 137. So he lived another 38 years after his number one, his partner, passed on. 38 years. It says, then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. Remember how I talked about he purchased that field to put a stake in that land that was promised to him. There Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. And Isaac dwelt at Beer Lahai Roy. Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael Nebajoth, then Kadar, Abdil, Adbil, Mibsan, Mishma, Duma, Masa. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by their towns and their settlements. Twelve princes according to their nations. Hadar, Tima, Jatur, Nafish, and Kadema. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. As you go toward Assyria, he died in the presence of all his brethren. You remember, we're not talking about Ishmael. You remember I explained to you that Ishmael is, our, our, the Muslim faith believes that Ishmael was the promised son of Abraham. So at the top of the food chain, the Muslims believe in the God of Abraham as their God. They just believe that Ishmael was the promised son, not Isaac. So the, the Muslim bloodline runs through Isaac, uh, through Ishmael. Now, let's look at some things here about the life of Abraham. We're going to talk about how he lived and not how he died. Number one, it was by faith that Abraham lived. Everything he did was by faith. At 75 years old, at 75 years old, what did he do? He answered the call. Yeah, he moved. At 75, I don't know how many times we talked about that in the first few weeks of the year. At 75 years old. We don't have many people in the room at 75. At 75 years old. In fact, we only have one. One qualifier. One qualifier to go to the promised land. One qualified to receive the promise. At 75, he picked up and changed everything, and he took his wife and he left, and he journeyed 400 miles south to a land he didn't know. Is that faith, trust, security? I dumped a, I dumped a, I don't know, I dumped a 330-pound squat a couple weeks back. Some of you saw it online. 
little profanity at the end. I apologize. It happens. I had safety. I have a commercial rack. I put my trust and I put my faith that that rack will protect me and not let me die under the weight. Because the old joke in powerlifting is, if I die under the bar, put more weight on the bar, then call 911. Okay? But I dumped it. But I trusted my rack, and I kept training after that. I always trust my rack. I, I have to put trust and faith in that. Is that because, because that weight can kill me. But I trust that rack to save me and protect me. Just like I trust Christ in everything I do. Just like I want to talk about how we live that way and not die that way. I want to talk about how Abraham answered the call. That is exactly the, the, the attitude of faith that Abraham had. He said, I'm going somewhere where I don't know what can happen to me, my life, my wife, anything, but I'm going to trust this call and I'm going to do it. I'm going to have faith. So what did he do after he answered the call? What did he do? He fulfilled the call. He did. We wouldn't be sitting in here today preaching the name of Jesus Christ. We might not be sitting in here today preaching the word of Jesus Christ in the way we preach it and teaching everything that we teach all the way back to the Old Testament if Abraham had not done what he was told, if he had not acted. It was a credit to him to be righteousness because of his faith. Let's look at something else from his life. What he was promised, he believed. Do you believe the promises that God has told you? God reveals promises to us in many different ways. Especially those of us who have been doing this a long time. And we see those things. When you're really in tune with the Holy Spirit, you begin to see those things in your life. And it takes trust. When we moved from San Diego to Yuba City, we had to trust and believe that God was going to take care of us, 100%. And we moved 400 miles north. And God did. He took care of us. And we knew, we knew when we moved from L.A. to San Diego, my first response, I've shared it with you guys as a group, my first response when we got called to move to San Diego, I looked at my wife and I said, God is taking us to San Diego and he's using my job to do it. What's our next mission there? And we went there and there was a mission for us. And then when we moved here to Yuba City, I had the exact same attitude. Now, we, B.B. wasn't as pleased that we were going to move 400 miles away from everybody but we had the same attitude. And when we got here, there was a mission for us. So what he was promised, he believed. And I, I, was, I, I know that God promised me a long time ago, just do, do the things I got planned for you. Just keep moving forward. Just keep putting one foot in front of the next, and I'm going to take care of you. I got a plan. And that's how I live my life every day. I don't stress over things that a lot of people stress over. I don't, you, I've, I think I've said this before. I don't stress and sweat the big things. It's always the dumb stuff. I will fight about the dumb stuff. But the big stuff, I'm like, it's all good. I don't even stress. That's all going to work itself out. One day I'll learn to channel that over to the small stuff. So what was it that he was promised and he believed? We're going to look at some of those key things. He was promised a land of his own, and he believed it. He was promised descendants, too many to count. 
He was promised that. And guess what? He believed it. He was promised an impossible son. Impossible. And he believed it. We all know from reading through the story, Sarah didn't believe it. For 25 years, Sarah didn't believe it. Sarah laughed at the angel of the Lord one year before having Isaac, right? Remember? She laughed. And when I laugh at something you say, that's because I think you're crazy. Being honest, right? If I laugh at something you say that would be outrageous like that, I would be laughing because I would be thinking you were crazy. So, so he was promised this, and guess what? He believed. Remember I told you guys, now, we're not going to take that out of context, like, we're 62, and she's 60, and, and um, we've just got together, and I believe that God promised a son to us, and we're going to try, and we're going to have a baby. Don't take this out of context and think that that's what's going to happen. But this was an impossible thing at that time because Sarah was barren. We all know that Sarah was well past childbearing age. Well past. Twice, three times as far past. So he believed. Could you believe that? Right now, I'm asking you, would you believe that? Right now, if you went to sleep this afternoon after church, you were like, Chris's message was on point. I loved it. Even that part where he said I was going to go home and have a dream. You go home, and you take this nap today. And in your nap, clear as day, the angel of the Lord stands up, shines in front of you like the book of like Revelation of Christ. You fall to the ground because you're afraid, and he says, Mike, get up. Don't be afraid. I came to you in church this morning. I spoke through the Spirit. I wanted you to hear these things. Now I'm going to tell you this. You're going to have a baby. Then you wake up from your nap and you call me and you tell me about it. And I laugh. Right? I laugh, right? Would you believe the promise? Abraham believed. Challenge yourself with that. Abraham believed. Would any of us? I don't know. I don't even know if I'd want to tell you because you might laugh at me. Abraham believed. He was constantly and confidently chasing after a promise made by a God he didn't necessarily know for a city of refuge and the hope of a nation. And he believed. We're here contesting and believing that that's what God's going to do here. That this church is going to become a sanctuary of hope and refuge for the lost. We don't need the people who are saved somewhere else to come and transfer their membership. We need people that come in here and sit down that don't know the gospel, don't know the word, haven't made a decision. They sit down, they listen to me get up here and talk about stuff they don't understand, and all of a sudden God shows up and they come to know him. That's what we're doing. He was constantly and confidently chasing after a promise made by a God he didn't necessarily know for a city of refuge and the hope of a nation. Because God promised him a nation after him. How about some other things in his life, the way he lived? He fell. Where he fell, God restored him. Did he not? Where you fall, God is ready to restore you. 
How many people are parents in the room? No matter how many times you tell your child not to do something because you know the danger, and then your child does it anyways and gets hurt, you run like the father to the prodigal son. You run to rescue your child and pick him up or her and clean them off and comfort them and tell them it's going to be okay and you restore them. And then even though they did something you didn't want them to do, you have grace and you have mercy and you don't care because you forgive and love them unconditionally. And God is better at doing that than you with you. You can't even forgive yourself sometimes, right? We can't even forgive ourselves for certain things. God will restore you no matter what. He lied a couple times, remember? Ooh, fear, fear set in. Was he, was he busy living or dying? His faith and trust in those moments. This is what our lives look like in faith. We have seasons where all of a sudden we don't trust and we don't believe and we become afraid. And he feared death and he lied to save himself. If they see you, you are so hot. They are going to kill me and take you. You are my sister, okay? Now, what if somebody wants to be with you? I don't know. We can discuss that later. That was his attitude, straight up. Read the story. What I just said is exactly what happened two times. Remember how I said after? Probably strained the marriage, right? But God can do what? God restores. He himself couldn't keep peace with Lot, his workers, or his wives. He himself couldn't keep peace. There was always conflict going on around him. Conflict with the, with the herdsmen. Conflict with the regions. He came in and helped out, right? Had to fight a little bit. Lied about his wife again. Um, but uh, he couldn't keep a peace. He wasn't great at that. But God could restore everything, right? Kind of covered this already, but we're going to look at it again. Bullet point four. He trusted God in the hard stuff. Do you trust God in the hard stuff? I know there are some of you in this room who have trusted God in hard stuff. And your faith is unwavering. Abraham trusted God in the hard stuff. He trusted a crazy promise. A wild, outrageous promise. If you say it's going to happen, God, then it's going to happen. Not too many people of his day and age would have done it. In fact, no one would have done it. Only Abraham. That's why God chose him. He was the only man on earth at the time willing to trust God in the hard stuff, and that is why God chose him. Because he didn't even live in the promised land. He lived somewhere else. God had to go find this guy up in the land of Ur and send him down to the promised land. Amen? He was the only guy able to trust God in the hard stuff. The promise? How about he trusted God in Ish with Ishmael? What do you mean? I thought that he didn't trust God. I'm not talking about going outside of what God promised him to make Ishmael. I'm talking about when he sent Ishmael and Hagar out into the wilderness. 
to do what? What did he know was going to happen to Hagar and, Ish- Hagar and Ishmael in the wilderness? They were going to die. They were going to die. But do you know what God told him? Remember in the story, don't worry about Ishmael. He's going to be okay. And he trusted God in the hard stuff. How about this hard one? Isaac. You remember that promise I made you? Will, you remember that promise I made you that I was going to give you a son? Well, now that he's a growing lad, young, strong, young man, I want you to take him to this mountain that I got plans for a couple thousand years down the road. And I want you to sacrifice that son to me. And he took him and he was willing to do it. He trusted God in hard stuff. That's, I used the word crazy a few times. That's insane. That's insane. He trusted God. Made even his son carry his own uh, cross. Remember I told you? Isaac carried the wood. Jesus carried the cross. Hey, son, you see the wood over there? Go ahead and pick it up. So like I remember I told you in the story, Isaac wasn't a boy. He was a strong young man. Carried that wood up the mountain. Could have fought off his dad. Even Isaac trusted his, God, his dad in that moment. We don't really know. He didn't struggle. He didn't fight. An old man tied him up. Abraham trusted God in hard stuff, stuff that makes no sense. Stuff that makes no sense. How much stuff in your life right now doesn't make sense? Are you trusting God in it? Or are you saying, this doesn't make sense? There's the way I want you to think about it. How much stuff in your life right now doesn't make sense? then ask yourself, am I trusting God in this or am I saying this doesn't make sense? Because when you trust God with it, it doesn't need to make sense. Because it will. Because it will. Remember God answers prayers three ways, I told you this. Yes, no, and later. You only hear yes. Yes, no, later. I don't hear no or later. Those don't make sense to me. Just yes. Yes, I know yes. I don't know no and later. How about this one? He didn't give up or quit. Did he? He went through a lot. Abraham went through a lot. He didn't give up or quit. He lost his wife late in life. Did he quit? No. What did he do? He carried on. He carried on. Can you carry on? Or have you put your spouse to be so much in your life that you can't go on without them? Ask yourself that question. God designed you for relationship, but you may have to still carry on. Or you'll be like Johnny Cash and June Carter. Would they die a month apart? I mean, he carried on. 
He even remarried. Right? He married this woman, Keturah, later. How many years did I say he lived after his wife passed? 38. I said 38. 38 years. I'm 41. 38 years is a long time to be without the one you loved, to be without the one you committed your life to. But he carried on because he still had a promise. He still had the hope of a nation. He still knew that he was setting stake in the ground. He still knew that God had a purpose for him and that God had a purpose for his son Isaac. And the loss of his spouse did not stop him from carrying on. And then what did he do after not giving up or quitting? He fulfilled that promise through Isaac. This was your promise. And at the good ripe old age of 170 some years old, he died and went to be with his people. And he went to be with his God. Amen? He did a job, he had a job well done. Because he trusted God in some crazy hard stuff. God put him in a position to make really tough decisions and he made them. So we'll close with, uh, I, I could give you a long list of things to take from Abraham, but we've been giving you that list every week. So I'm going to drop you with four more lessons to take from the life of Abraham. Number one, wherever God leads, follow. Whatever God promises, believe. Whatever God tests, trust. And however God blesses, share. Abraham lived a life worth living. Abraham went to be with the Lord after a good life worth living. And he accomplished everything that God promised him. He trusted God in all things. Yes. Oh, great. Thank you, Angel. She made a valid point. I say it in AA all the time. How can I trust anybody when I make bad decisions for me? I can't even trust myself. I remember I had a pastor say crap once in front of us. Right there on stage. He's like, is that okay? And we were all like, whoa. But like Angel said, how can I trust anybody else when I will screw myself every time? I will make bad decisions that mess me up. I did it for a long time in my life. But yes, we have to trust God in all those things. I trusted God and believed God to carry me out of that mess, and today I'm, I'm out of that mess. So we just trust God. We trust God in the stuff that doesn't make sense. I love this church. I love you guys. I love what God's doing here. You know this message about living? What are you living for? What are you living for? Your family. I heard somebody, a podcast, 
recently, and um, I don't know where this guy's faith is, but he said something that was really interesting. He said, he said, I was at a funeral, and I saw there were people up in front of the casket, and they were just weeping. And then there was a bunch of people sitting on the front row seats behind them, there to comfort and support them. And he says, and I'm sitting in the back with a couple of other guys I know, and we're kind of looking at each other in our phones like, what time are we going to go eat? He said that he realized in that moment that he needed to stop living for the wrong reasons and start living for the people in his life that would be up at that casket. Right? And that's what Angel just said. We also need to live for Christ. Yeah, you got to live. It goes God, family, church, work, baseball. What's that baseball player's name? Josh Hamilton. He's an alcoholic. Played for the Angels and the Rangers. He has a tattoo on his arm. It says, God, family, recovery, and baseball was last. And he's a professional baseball player. So what are you living for? Who needs to be number one in your life? If you make God number one in your life, Family, work, stress, life, marriage, kids, all those things work themselves out if God is number one. When you replace God with any one of those things, they're all out of control. Right? I hope everybody in this room knows Jesus Christ. I hope you do. If you don't, if you don't know what that means... Come see me after. I'll tell you all about him. That's who I live for. God slash Christ, family, church, and then my job. Got to pay the bills. So let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for our church. I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you for I thank you for your word. I thank you for your message. I thank you for your clarity. I thank you that you have given us a clear-cut vision, Lord, on what it is that we need to do. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us a clear-cut vision on what needs to be a priority in our life. I thank you, Lord, that you have provided us over the last few months with a clear-cut vision of what a life lived by faith and trust in you, in all areas, in the good, in the bad, in the ugly, and in the hard stuff looks like. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray that you bless us all, not with materialistic things, Lord. Bless us with your presence. Bless us with whatever it is you choose to bless us with, Lord, so that we can share that, Lord. I thank you. Bring us all back here next week safe and sound. In Jesus' name, amen.